0: Welcome to the How To Be Awesome At Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 517 Tim Campos. Tim, one of his many claims to fame is he was in charge of doubling Facebook's productivity. So he's gonna share how he pulled that off and how you can double your own productivity. So you'll learn, one, just how he did that. Two, the biggest mistake people make with their calendars. And three, the two kinds of time the professionals have. So if you wanna check out the show notes or the transcript or the links down as we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F517. Now here's Tim's story. Tim Campos doubled productivity for Facebook while he was chief information officer between 2010 and 2016. And now Tim is running Woven. Woven is a digital calendar that helps people get the most out of their time while studying the analytics behind how we're using that time. So thanks to Tim for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free Tim, thanks for joining us here on the How To Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I am
2: glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, I am excited to dig into your wisdom and hear some of your tales of increasing productivity at Facebook. And for starters, I understand that just a couple weeks into your job, you were called into a meeting with Mark Zuckerberg himself. What's the story here?
2: Well, actually, it was from Mark Zuckerberg's EA. She sent me an urgent note uh, two weeks into the company and said, you've got to show up at Zuck's desk first thing tomorrow morning, and uh, there's something really st- uh, important that we we needed to discuss, and I was really excited. I was happy that uh, Zuck was interested in getting strategic with IT from the get-go. This is a really good sign when a CEO is that interested. And, um, so I showed up and, uh, there was the first learning was Mark Zuckerberg doesn't actually show up until 10 in the morning. So an 8am meeting is a sign. Um, the second Mm. was I was ambushed by, uh, Anika, uh, and Camille, this is Mark and Cheryl's, um, executive assistants. And, uh, they basically sat me down and, said, look, this calendar thing does not work for us. Here's a long list of problems that we're having. These are not only strategic issues for us, they're, they're becoming embarrassments for Mark and Cheryl. And you got a week to fix them. And uh, it was a rude awakening to the uh, challenges of calendaring at a next generation company like Facebook.
1: And that's interesting because, so weren't they just using the same stuff everybody else uses? What were they using and what was wrong?
2: Yeah, they we're using Microsoft Exchange, which yeah. uh, this is what everybody else uses. But uh, a couple things that were different. One is um, you know, Facebook at the time was using a much higher density of Mac and Apple devices than anybody else. Uh, so you know, eighty percent of the workforce was on Macintosh, and and uh, most of the workforce used iPhones at the time. And uh, the second thing was just the the nature of how. Uh, Mark and Cheryl uh, scheduled a very dynamic, a lot of changes to the to the calendar events, and this was really uh, aggravating many of the problems that already exist with calendars. So uh, they were in, experiencing problems where the conference room would uh, forget about the meeting, or things would get double booked, or um, uh, you know, Mark was supposed to be in one place, and the calendar said he was supposed to be in someplace else, and uh, these were hugely embarrassing for, uh, everybody involved and, um, to fix it required, uh, me to do something, um, that I'm actually quite good at, which is getting into the details of, you know, how this thing was built. Why is it behaving the way that it is? Um, cause it wasn't just a simple problem of, you know, the, this button hadn't been pressed or something like that. And, um, it's, it gave me insight to why calendars are so bad and, um, Throughout my tenure at Facebook, I had a love-hate relationship with the technology. And uh, with time, uh, I got so motivated to do something about it, I actually decided to quit my job at Facebook and start a company to help the calendar be a lot more intelligent.
1: Well, that's cool. Yeah. What a nice uh, prompt and bit of inspiration. And I guess I can understand how that would be embarrassing. It's like, wait, you're one of the most advanced tech companies in the world and you're telling me that your calendar is wrong. Um, okay. Exactly. <laughs> what What else is broken over at your organization?
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and you know, for Mark and Cheryl, part of why I was hired was, uh, it was 2010 and Facebook had no specific plans to go public, but they knew that was going to happen. And they were concerned if, if something like this doesn't work, what does that mean for the financial systems? What does that mean for, uh, the things that really matter for the company? And so, um, that's why it was such an important uh, issue for them and why, why they hired me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, like I said, as I got into the nuts and bolts of this, you know, Facebook, my job at Facebook was the productivity of the workforce, make everybody more productive, uh, including myself. And that starts with time. You know, time is the most valuable asset that we have. And one of the things that I found that was just incredibly frustrating is it was so difficult to understand how I was spending time. If I wanted to know from my EA, like how much time am I spending in one-on-ones or how much time am I spending on sales versus finance versus recruiting? You know, it took my EA hours a week to just do the math on it. And why isn't that uh, just a, a simple button that you press on the calendar to get that question answered? That I, I just never understood that. Um, and, you know, things like you know, we want to have effective meetings. Well, what leads to an effective meeting. Have a purpose for it. Have a reason for this uh, meeting to occur, whether it's a staff meeting or an interview or a one- on one. And you know those meetings require agendas and uh, some of that purpose to be communicated ahead of time. It's not in the calendar. You know, in the description field, maybe there's uh, some information about how to log into the meeting if it's a blue jeans or a Zoom meeting or something like that but everything else is nowhere to be found. Uh, if that stuff exists, it's hidden in email someplace, another system that is just absolutely built to drain our, our time. And uh, none of us have time to go search email for why we're supposed to be at an event, so you end up spending the first 10 minutes of every meeting setting the stage, what the purpose is, uh, when, as opposed to doing what you really need to be doing, which is meeting, getting something done, making a decision.
1: Mm-hmm. Boy, there's so much I really want to dig into here. So that is one of your big claims to fame there is doubling the productivity of the Facebook employees. And so I'm going to give you a hard time for just a moment. When you say productivity, you're specifically referring to the metric revenue per employee moving from 900K to 1.8 million per employee. And I guess doubling productivity, on the one hand, makes you think of like, wow, everyone is getting twice as much stuff done. That's awesome. I guess there's certainly some of that, which we're going to talk about, Although for the skeptics listening who are saying, well, yeah, but I mean, Facebook makes a lot of their money through ads and that platform doesn't really require any humans to do anything. So isn't that more just a function of more people buying ads and having a similar number of people in the workforce? So I'll let you make your case, Tim.
2: Oh, it's it's absolutely a fair criticism. And I'll be the last to say that 100% of Facebook's productivity games were solely due to things that, uh, my organization was responsible for. Um, you know, quite the opposite. There's, there's a lot of, uh, things that, uh, Facebook would do for itself in terms of how we build the product. You point out some industry, uh, aspects that contribute to productivity, but, you know, it's worth looking at, uh, revenue per employee because it's a, uh, A useful benchmark. It's easy to calculate across different companies. And you can look across an industry to see what's the standard here. Uh, For technology, for example, most companies are between three and four hundred thousand in revenue per employee. You know, for a company like Google at the time, they were closer to 1.1, 1.2 million um, per employee. Uh, But the other thing is how is it trending? You know, as we're growing uh, as a company, are uh, do we have to? What what do we have to grow? and What don't we have to grow? Most companies, for example, they want to grow revenue, but they don't want to grow costs. That's how you grow profit, and that's how a company is is valued. And you can achieve a lot of that through economies of scale. That um, you know, if you've got a, a manufacturing facility or, you know, in Facebook's case, a data center, and you can drive more revenue out of that data center without having to build another one, then you get more profit? Uh, Well, uh, for knowledge-based companies, the human capital is the thing that you're looking for economy of scale with. Can we do more without having to hire more? Can we support more customers without more salespeople? Can we recruit more engineers without having to hire more recruiters? And these were the challenges that my team was given. And um, we accomplished that in large part through technology um, uh, innovation. So we'd rethink things like, how do you do CRM how do you manage customer information how do you do how do we source for candidates what's the way to make predictions about who would be the best candidate so we can surface those resumes to the recruiters first um, and by doing enough of that uh, we were able to offset the need to grow as much proportional to the company and actually oftentimes a lot of companies get less efficient as they get bigger because you need middle management you need people. Inside the company, just to coordinate with other people, and that takes that—that's a tax. That's an overhead, and um, it can become a just a significant driver of of cost and bureaucracy. And and this was something Facebook was deathly afraid of as it got bigger. And why we place so much emphasis on productivity. And uh, so I completely agree with the criticism. But at the, at the end of the day, I think it survives. Um, review when you take a look at what we did that um, a lot of the the growth in productivity ultimately comes down to not just, you know, the, the, the culture of the company or the space that it's in, but tooling. And Facebook has absolutely uh, grown its productivity much more than even companies like Google and Microsoft, which are already very productive on their own.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, Tim, thank you. I am convinced, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we've checked that box. I gotta do the due diligence here. So Let's talk about then what are some of the interventions that made the biggest impact and are the most transferable? Because I imagine, you know, most listeners are probably not going to say, hey, let's build out a new system that helps predictively surface resumes of candidates, although some might. So that's not off the table, but I'd love to know which ones have the most impact and are the most transferable.
2: Well, I think um, it does very much depend on what kind of business you're in. So you know, if, you're, if you're a lawyer uh, and you're trying to make yourself more productive, uh, um, you know, optimizing recruiting is not going to help or even optimizing your ability to you know, predict what a customer might need. Um, so it, you really have to adapt your productivity strategy for the, for the business and even for the role that, uh, that you are in. But a few things that I think are general Strategies that we employed. One is uh, really understanding what are the long poles and getting things done. So for Facebook, the biggest function in the company is the product organization. Uh, the second largest function is the sales organization. Uh, the product organization, their productivity is driven by how much code can can they write and is that code impactful. And uh, to be quite frank, that really wasn't a problem that my organization could fix for them but sales is a different story. Um, Salespeople, they got to meet with customers. They need to understand which customers to spend time with. And there were a lot of things that we could do to help them be better prepared for those conversations. And especially because Facebook's customer base was growing so much, having a much richer and better understanding of you know, who's an advertiser of the company? What is their advertising objective? What problem are they trying to address with Facebook advertising? Where are they in their journey? Um, are they being successful and therefore they need some more advanced advice? Are they just starting and they don't really know how to use the different advertising products that would affect how the uh, sales organization would approach customers? And so a lot of what we did was just centralizing information to make it uh, clear at what stage a customer was in. And that helped to um, give the sales organization the right uh, tools, the right conversations to have uh, with, uh, with companies, Com- conversations that were specifically designed to help them alleviate problems with the advertising products um, and help them be more successful with accomplishing their objectives and therefore spend more with the company. And we, were, we became very, very good at this.
1: Yeah, but you know, I'll tell you what, that resonates in terms of, you're centralizing information in a way that doesn't seem like such a revolutionary move, but in practice, it, it makes a world of difference. Like just even put out a podcast and sort of like, I've got to pull a lot of different pieces of information in terms of after this interview was concluded and before it's published to the world, I'm pulling information like, okay, what's the date of the release and who's the guest and who are the advertisers and what's the copy for that advertisement and is that copy new or is it similar as to last time? And uh, who's the next guest that we're going to tease at the end? Is there anything cool happening that we're going to mention? What are the parts of the interview that we're going to cut versus sort of try to tease? And so it's actually pretty cognitively intense. And it requires me to kind of open up like five or six different windows. But uh, sure enough, with my awesome team, thanks guys, has you know put more and more of that into one place. And so I can do less work in terms of, yep, I like that teaser. Yep, I like that quote. Mm, yep, I agree. We should cut that part. Yep, that's the sponsor. Uh, let me change a few of the key words or segues, and then um, away it goes. As opposed to, in a way, it doesn't seem like a big deal if I just spend eight minutes pulling information from different places. But multiply that by hundreds <laughs> of episodes or or occasions of an activity, and uh, you're really impacted productivity simply by centralizing information
2: and making it easier for people to access. Um, I mean, if- yeah. Another example of this was, you know, what do we do for recruiting? It's the same issue, same thing, same objective, where you know, there's information about a candidate, and their resume, their LinkedIn profile, who they've met with, if they've given us permission to answer this question, who are they friends with, Facebook friends with in the company who might know them? You know, have they interviewed at a previous stage? Like maybe they declined to accept their offer, but a couple years later, now we're interviewing them again what was the outcome of those interviews? What, what did people have to say? By just centralizing all this information, it streamlines a recruiter's ability to put the right candidate in front of the right manager quickly. And so you can follow this same methodology in, in almost every role. I do this today for Woven, for our, my customers. Uh, when we onboard users, some of our users request personal personalized onboarding. We literally get on the phone with them, talk with them about what they're trying to do with their calendars and teach them how to use the product Um, and we start with all the information that we know about them going into the discussion so that we don't have to ask them things that we should already know, like what platform are they using and do they have a lot of calendar data or just a little bit of calendar data? Are they busy? Are they not so busy? And by having uh, understandings of these questions, we can more effectively tailor our conversation to our customers uh, in a way that's going to give them a better outcome.
1: Mm-hmm. So in practice, this streamlining, I guess, at times that requires, you know, you and your crew to create some custom applications and coding and such. But uh, what are some of the things that the every person can do to realize some of these gains associated with centralizing information?
2: Well, um, I'll actually start by saying some of what I uh, did, actually, everybody can do. Excellent. For example, with sales of Facebook, we change the onboarding process for a salesperson. Most salespeople are not technical, right? However, they can be taught some aspects of technology. So we would send them to DataCamp. DataCamp was a way of understanding how to answer customer information at Facebook. So how, how to access the data and how to write queries, how to use SQL. And we would teach them how to fish uh, on their own. So they wouldn't have to come to us to you know, get us to build some uh, special custom report for them. They could do it on their own and that uh, empowered people. So there is a bit of self-learning that uh, can be employed, even for the individual, of, you know, learn to use the technology yourself so that you can solve some of these problems. It very much does help to have an advanced, very business-oriented technology function to partner with who can help solve some of the more uh, complicated things that you can't do. So if you're a a manager at a company and you have some control over this, that can make a, a gigantic difference and therefore you know, uh, IT professionals still have a job even if the rest of the world becomes coders and, and uh, able to um, to do this. But I think uh, then there's even simpler things. How do you organize your time? How do you spend your time? What are the things that you uh, spend your time on? This has a huge impact on most people's lives because most of us in today's day and age, we're, We're knowledge workers where we, uh, it's our thoughts and ideas that result in the value that we create. It's not, you know, our ability to pick up a brick and move it to another side of a room and put it down. You know, for those people, there's a different way to uh, drive productivity. But for knowledge workers, time management and time allocation has a huge impact on what people do.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I'd love to talk about that in just a moment. I'm thinking with regard to Using the tech yourself, you can even have some of the tech do some of the centralizing for you. I'm thinking about Zapier, for example, right now.
2: Great product.
1: Zapier yanks the stuff from my Calendly scheduler onto my Google Sheets uh, media sheet. And I think that's pretty awesome. So sure. So maybe you could have someone make a quick app, maybe Zapier or a tool like it can do some of the automation for you. But uh, moving past the tech, yes, let's discuss organizing your time. What are some best practices and worst practices that are really high impact?
2: I think one of the best practices around uh, time management is to be deliberate and proactive about your time. You know, deciding upfront, this is how I want to spend my time in the next week or the next month. um, And blocking it, you know, giving yourself that time by saying, okay, uh, I've got to write this presentation. I'm going to schedule time on my calendar to make that happen. I've got to do this investor or customer outreach. I'm going to schedule time for those things. And even though they may not involve other people, just by taking the time to block it. Now, when somebody else makes a request of my time, either uh, I know I I might not wanna take that request at that particular time, or uh, I can, again, be proactive. All right, that means I won't be able to do that presentation on you know, Thursday morning, but I could still get it done Friday afternoon. So I'll just move that time block from Thursday morning to Friday afternoon. Conversely, I think one of the worst things that people can do is be reactive. You know, If we're just responding to the requests of others, uh, we are responding to their definition of what we want to get done. Um, yes, what we want to get done, not our definition of what we want to get done. And it is best to to own that and not give that up. And, uh, you know, we see with woven as an example, that most people, uh, don't schedule that far in advance. Um, most people schedule the events that they have, you know, two or three days in advance. Why is that important? Well, imagine if, Some, I'm really busy, you know. I got all these things going on, and somebody says, Hey, can you go and meet with me uh, for this lunch meeting uh, sometime in mid December? If I don't have a proactive view of what my calendar should be and how much time I should be spending on networking or personal relationships, it's easy to say yes to that when it's actually not as important for me. And I just gave away some time that's going to prevent me to do something that I need to do when that week comes. And on the other hand, if I am very proactive about my time and I'm using these time blocks to forecast my availability, I might know that I can only spend three hours a week on these kinds of personal discussions. And if I already have three hours that week scheduled, well, maybe i push it out to the following week. And that way I can just preserve it and not put myself in a position where my time is being dictated to me. I'm a slave to my calendar instead of uh, what it could be where I'm the master of my
1: time. Well, boy, this is really expanding my brain. I love it. The phrase you said that's sticking with me the most is give yourself that time. And for me, it's such a, a flip because ever since I was a kid, it's been very important to me to have, quote, free time, <laughs> you know? And I think that just means time that I don't feel obligated to something or someone so that my brain can just percolate or I can decompress or whatever. And so when you talked about scheduling that time, sometimes I've done some of that, but I've also had some resistance in terms of, oh boy, well, then if all these hours are spoken for, then, then when's the, quote, free time? Mm-hmm. But when you say it that way, give yourself that time it really does shine a light on it in terms of saying, well, if you don't schedule that time for that important thing for you, it's at risk and it will likely just not occur. So you have to give yourself that time and that language feels as though, you know, you're giving yourself a gift or a treat or uh, some sort of luxury spa
2: time or something. Well, that's exactly what events are. They, are. they are gifts of time. And you know, you could give yourself time to do nothing. I mean, maybe some people need that sort of free, unencumbered time just to think and, you know, take a breath, experience, uh, you know, what's going on around them. Um, and that itself can be, um, you know, the, the objective, but you won't have it if you don't reserve it. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: when you say that, that's also connecting to, I've watched watching this uh, Netflix documentary about Bill Gates, like inside Bill Gates's brain, and he schedules Think Weeks, which I think is awesome. It's like, this is what this week is about, is me reading a lot of books and thinking about them. And it sure seems to be effective for the guy. So he gave himself that time with good effect. So I'm also intrigued by that notion. If most people only schedule items three or four days in advance, that kind of gives you a little bit of a clue that you'll have better luck getting on people's calendar (laughs) if you schedule it, you know, with a greater amount of lead time. So there's a little
2: tactical takeaway right there. Well, Yes and no. So the, the, it's easy for people to say yes, but what happens? Um, you get to that point. It's changed up on you. Yeah. The things get really busy. And then all of a sudden now somebody needs to reschedule and they need to reschedule because they didn't properly plan. And that's both a burden on them and it's a burden on you. So, uh, you know, reschedules are probably 20 to 25% of events that they, you know, something changes, uh, after they are put on the, uh, on the calendar. And they're, they're hugely impactful in terms of being a time drain, because imagine all the prep that you had for that event. Um, you know, if, if I reschedule this podcast for you, you know, you both didn't, a- weren't able to do a podcast with somebody else and any preparation that you did for this podcast, you know, it would have been, uh, not necessarily wasted because hopefully we would reschedule for a different time, but done at the wrong time
1: oh yeah, I'd have to refresh my brain on who you are and your background or what I want to ask you. So there would definitely be something lost.
2: And that holds true for one-on-ones, for staff meetings, for interviews, for, um, for any kind of uh, event um, that uh, there's... There's a drain on both parties when the time has to change. So it's much better if, if people can be proactive and effectively forecast their time. Now, obviously, things happen, right? So, you know, maybe you know you get sick, or you know, there's a an emergency thing that you could not have planned for. Um, you know, those things are obviously going to be disruptive. Um, but the even there, the more proactive you are. About managing your time when those emergencies happen. Uh, sometimes you can anticipate you're going to have an emergency, therefore don't book 100% of your time. Have some time left over for emergencies, um, or other times, you know, because uh, you weren't able to in this particular case, but you are elsewhere. When you reschedule, you're only going to have to reschedule once, or only have to reschedule one other thing.
1: Yeah. Well, Tim, you've really piqued my curiosity. You've dropped a couple of fun stats that I did not know before, and you are uniquely positioned to know, uh, working over at Woven there. So most people only schedule items three to four days in advance. Rescheduling occurs to 20 to 25% of events. Any other intriguing benchmark data points that have, you know, real relevance for professionals?
2: Here's a, a very, uh, interesting fact. We, uh, Uh, we looked at, uh, when does the workday start? We had a debate within my team on the, uh, we we put default work hours in the product. Should those default work hours be at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m., and when do they stop? Do they stop at 5 p.m., 6 p.m.? And it's fascinating to see that um, it's not a simple bell curve when you look at, like, when do most meetings start? Um, there is a very strong bias against early morning meetings. Um, most people don't schedule um, before nine or eight o'clock. Um, there's a significant drop off there. And there's a strong bias for late later evening meetings. Um, some of this makes sense, right? You know you're more likely to have a dinner meeting than a breakfast meeting. Um, but it does get to, where does one have the most control over their time? And it's when there aren't things that are being scheduled in the universe, and that's the morning. Um, and this very much fits into my own personal experience. I, I find that you know, if, if I'm going to have my most productive time of the day, or if I'm going to have the time to work out, it's usually in the morning. It's not in the evening. If I try to do things in the evening, inevitably something gets in the way that I didn't plan for. Um, and uh, so... Uh, there's it, that bias turns out not to be just limited to me and the people that I meet with, but it actually seems to be somewhat universal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is a great takeaway. People say, you know, hey, wake up early and do your stuff. You know, it's magical and powerful. And it seems like it's largely just because it so happens that your odds are better for having less interruption by third parties if you take that strategy. Yeah, Absolutely.
2: The other thing that we found that's really interesting is there's this there's something magical about 10 and 11 a.m. meetings. Uh, that is the highest frequency of events that occur uh, in our system uh, is uh, the, the 10 a.m. or the 11 a.m. a.m. meeting? That seems to be when people want to really begin their day. Um, and so it's also, conversely, the worst time to try to schedule something. <laughs> it's, not, it's not an easy time to get access to because um, more people than... Uh, any other time are, are, are busy there, but there's a, there's a lot more richness and depth into this. And what's really interesting is that a lot of what, uh, is different about time allocation for people is very contextually dependent. It's, you know, what company do I work for? How big of a company is it? Um, and so certain predictions I could make, um, are different depending on the context. If I were to um, say, you know, what's different about a smaller company than a bigger company? I can tell you one defining difference between those two. Small companies t- spend, tend to spend most of their time meeting outside of their company. They schedule with people who are not um, in inside of their corporation, whereas large companies tend to spend most of their time meeting internally. Um, and the difference is striking. You, know, you go from a 10 person company to uh, a ten thousand person company, you go from you know uh, eighty to ninety percent of the small person's time is externally focused, whereas uh, ninety to ninety five percent of the large company's focus is internal. And imagine all of the people who um, don't have an outside view. And a company like Facebook, where you know, ninety to ninety five percent of the time that the the workforce is spending is with itself, um, then you know, you, you don't have the same sources of information and insight that you would have if everybody spent uh, more of an equal portion of their time internally and externally. It can very much, um, you know, lead to different kinds of, uh, biases and perspectives.
1: Yeah. That's very thought provoking. Thank you. I would schedule some time to think about that later. (laughs) And while I'm with you, dig more into the notion of, so let's talk about optimal calendar management. If um, you're a human being, you're a professional, you've got a number of goals you want to achieve inside work and outside work, you mentioned that one of the keys is to really proactively give yourself that time on the calendar specifically for during this time and doing that, even if it's just with myself. What are some of the other pro tips in terms of really maximizing our use of the calendar to get great results?
2: So the most valuable events on your Calendar are going to be recurring. And now they could be recurring, but you haven't been strategic about how they got there. I used to have this problem at Facebook where I would set up one on ones. Those one on ones would go on into perpetuity. And uh, they might have been important in the early days, but as time went on, the one on ones were less important, yet we were still having them. So they were taking up time on my calendar. But when you get into things like time blocking, you know, where you have, uh, you know, for me, I like to reserve the time in the morning for maker time, thought time, the time to work on the things that uh, require uninterrupted intervals. I make those recurring meetings so that they are always uh, there. And and I I look very strategically at the recurring events that I have. And I also try to minimize them um, so that I don't have recurring events just because somebody said, oh, we should always have this particular meeting at this time, Um, uh, it it may be important for me to have that meeting on a regular interval, but not necessarily at that specific time. So recurring events are very important. Uh, I think another thing that is really notable is um, the difference between, um, I I wish I could properly attribute the thought here, it didn't come from me for sure, Um, but this idea that uh, there is two kinds of time that people have, maker time and manager time.
1: Oh yeah, I think that came from someone in the lean startup
2: movement. I wish I could attribute this, and, and in fact, you're making me. But I
1: love the idea. It hasn't come up before. Lay it on us, Tim.
2: It's an incredible idea. There are certain tasks that we have to do, you know, like email or um, making, uh, you know, coordination, quick calls. They don't take a lot. The context switch to to start, uh, perform, and complete them is very low. And then there are certain things that take a while to get your brain going, to to do, and then uh, complete. You know, you think of like a software engineer. For them to code, you know, they have to to really sort of get get in the mood, get going. Um, it, it, you can't if they have to write ten thousand lines of code, they they can't just split that up into five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes someplace else, because the whole thing ties together and they have an idea in their mind that has to be front and center and ready. Or if I'm writing a document or, um, you know, a presentation, you know, for for me, that's, I need a lack of interruption uh, in order to complete that. And so that happens during maker time for me. Manager time is the time that I reserve for all the stuff that can be interrupted. You know, it is not challenging at all for me to get interrupted from going through my email because each email only takes a few Uh, seconds or maybe a few minutes to complete. And I don't need to go through my email all at at once. I could do that in 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, 10 minutes there. Slack, uh, dealing with Slack or dealing with uh, customer service, customer response. There's small inquiries that are easy to respond to and uh, deal with. And so my manager time, I try to reserve for the times in the day that I will uh, most likely have conference calls or Coordination with others, uh, because what that leaves me with is these little holes, little thirty-minute holes here and there that I could not put my presentation uh, authoring time in, but I easily could put my my uh, manager time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes great sense. And so your personal approach is to have more maker time in the morning and more manager time in the afternoon. And so, do you think that that is a dare I say, universal best practice given the human condition and energy levels? Or do you think it's more person by person contention?
2: Oh, I, I absolutely believe it's person person by person. Um, I know many people who are, are quite the uh, antithesis of, of of me in that uh, they, they're most energized and engaged in the evening mornings. It takes them a while to wake up and so they need to do lightweight tasks. Um, uh, my co-founder is this way, for example. Um, so... Uh, I I do think that uh, each individual has to find what works for them uh, and then optimize it. But the concept holds true. The concept that there are different uh, activities that you'll perform that require a lack of interruption and other activities, which are interruption um, mm-hmm. friendly.
1: Interruption friendly. <laughs> it's well said. Yeah. <laughs> I Most of my life is in maker mode these days. With some manager here and there with my team, and um, I'm envious. Well, <laughs> I've, I've yeah, it is. It is fun. It is fun to you know chat with you interruption-free or think hard about the future. You know, the next cool product or whatever to make. But you're right. I don't feel as friendly <laughs> when I'm interrupted in those moments as opposed to when I'm doing emails. Like, oh, sure. Hey, what's up? You yeah, know, interrupt me away. Interruption friendly. Nice turn of a phrase. Boy, you've got so much good stuff. I want to jump in. So, at the risk of being a little bit um, scattered. Let's hear a smidge about, you've got a cool phrase. You say that lazy people are often the most productive. What's this about?
2: <laughs> well, it's a, a learning that I've had uh, over the years that um, it started when I was at Silicon Graphics, my my second company. And we had um, a, a build engineer who was, um, you know, a self professed he was just he would just say i'm i am super lazy Uh, if you want to (laughs) you ask him to do something i don't really want to do that i why don't you want to do it it's because it sounds like work and i'm lazy Um, (laughs) but he was also one of the most productive people because he was so lazy um, at you know what he was doing he valued free time uh and so Part of how he would allocate his time is finding ways to eliminate the repetitive recurring activities that were a drain on his time. And so he built tons and tons of automation. And this, uh, I think in part was in, um, endearing to me because my, my first job as an intern was the same thing. I, uh, I found the job to be uh, really, I was working at a company called Sybase, and The job was really boring needed to be done, but it was really boring. And I was grateful that they were paying me, but I didn't really want to do it. So I wrote a bunch of automation to figure out how to do my job in less than 45 minutes of the day. And then I had all this other time to do other stuff. And eventually, more interesting work found my way. Um, and so I started to see that there's this pattern. Um, and when I got to um, Facebook and had an opportunity to work with some of the best engineers in the world, I saw that this pattern was strongest in those engineers that they would find ways to just eliminate the work from work, to cut the work out of work, in large part by just um, identifying where the redundancies are and whether that uh, manifests itself as a an architecture uh, that, uh, in terms of how they would design something so they wouldn't have to re-implement things over and over again, or a process for how should we do uh, you know assess candidates who are being um, considered for hire or how should we do our performance reviews, that these engineers were really good at identifying ways to simplify the work. And if you ever ask them why, it's because they didn't like it. They were lazy, they didn't wanna do the work. So they found ways to eliminate it.
1: That's a cool perspective in terms of lazy, we might define as highly motivated to not do work, And then as a result, they have an extra dose of, you know, creativity and persistence to do what's necessary to do the automation or the simplification or the elimination such that that work doesn't have to be done because they don't want to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's cool. I'm reminded of, um, you know, David Allen, we've had on the show a couple of times of getting things done fame. And he says that um, he's so lazy. He doesn't want to have the same thought twice, which is which is why he's got this whole system of organized reminders so that you don't have to have your brain continually remember things. It's I it's done it's, for you.
2: It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is famous for um, wearing the same clothes every day um, because he didn't want to allocate thought time to what he was going to wear. So right, yeah, he didn't actually wear the same pair of jeans and the same t-shirt, but. Uh, he had, you know, hundreds of the same t-shirts, so he didn't have to think about it. Yeah.
1: I've heard that, uh, Einstein and some others similarly, and Steve Jobs, certainly a recurring motif in his apparel. Maybe last one before we hit the fast phase, how do you think about burnout and what should we do to prevent it?
2: Great question. Um, for myself, what I have learned is that the hardest part about burnout is detecting when I'm in it, uh, because it's a vicious cycle. Uh, I am, busy. And so I, um, not being as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working really hard. So I'm not getting as much rest. I'm not taking a break. I'm not thinking creatively. And so things are taking longer, which means I have to work even harder and then I'm busier and it just builds upon itself. And one of my, uh, leaders at Facebook that I worked for was, um, I think it was Jonathan Heliger who said this, uh, you know, he pointed out the analog with cycling that, um, one of the things he loved about cycling is that uh, you know there was you'd, you'd climb a hill and be lots and lots of work, and then when you get to the other side of the hill, you coast and uh, you coast down, and you actually really needed those those pauses uh, in effort in order to be able to complete a century, um, you know, uh, without uh, well, in order to be able to complete the century that you you, you would sprint and you would pause, you'd sprint and you pause and. He uh, brought that same idea into into work. He's like, look, there's going to be times where we're all going to be working really, really hard together. And we're going to be really busy. And after those times, it's really important that we all, in our own way, find a way to pause, take a break. And... Um, I think that one of the reasons why his organization was very effective and productive was because of this notion of sprinting and pausing. And this is an idea that you can bring into your own life, that you know, if you haven't taken a vacation or you haven't, uh, one of my favorite ways to pause is to take a class, to, to learn something new and different, um, then you know, maybe you should. Maybe, there's, uh, uh, maybe it's time to do that. And I always find for myself, when I make that time, and I give myself that time, I'm rewarded in either a brilliant idea that comes out or just the renewed energy that I have to bring to my job. So, uh, And I know it's hard. Uh, I've certainly suffered from this, um, where you just get to a point where you feel like, yeah, you can't do it. You can't take a break. And sometimes that's exactly when you should.
1: Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Well, tell me, Tim, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
2: Uh, well, you know, I, I love these questions. They've really prompted a bunch of great ideas, uh, that, uh, that I love to talk about. Um, so now I think we've gotten through all that and there's, there's nothing that comes to mind that I really wanted to get out that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. All right. Well then, could you share with us a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring? A <laughs> uh, good friend of mine, uh, said, there's no time like the present, uh, it's very much a get things done kind of mindset of, you know, if you can do it now, just do it. And, uh. One of the things I, I love about my product is you know, scheduling. We've, we've come up with a way where you can create that event uh, and schedule it without having to have fi- everything figured out. You can put together a scheduling link, send it off to somebody. It's got times that they uh, can have on my calendar and then they decide which of those times work for them. And then, lo and behold, the event is scheduled. So, But just getting it done now, whatever it is, when you can, uh, saves you having to put it on your to-do list and manage it later.
1: Yeah. And I'm super intrigued about how Woven does the tabulation of the categories of time usage. Like,
2: that's cool. So thank you. And how about a favorite book? The one that comes to mind is um, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Mm -hmm. Not to get too political on this, but, you know, in today's time where, you know, it seems like, you know, we we don't all agree on on things. uh, This book really studies the sort of the the motivations and the, and the reasoning behind it and it's it's surprisingly applicable even outside of the context of politics you know when you're working in a work environment and some you know you have a, that difficult coworker or a difficult boss it provides a different perspective on how their mind might be organized uh, to better understand the rationale and um, i found that that book in many respects, it's changed my life. Uh-huh. Thank you. And having a favorite habit? Going for a walk with my wife. <laughs> uh, it's probably one of the, the best things that, that we can do is um, you know, just take that break, take that step away from the noise of life, my you know, children, company, uh, house cleaning, everything, kids' college application, just taking a step. Uh, back and going for um, a walk, enjoying each other's presence and enjoying, you know, the the gorgeous outside, uh, taking a breath and enjoying life.
1: Mm -hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you?
2: Well, um, both my teams at Facebook and my team at uh, Woven know that I'm a firm believer in using data to make decisions. Uh, data wins arguments is what we used to say at Facebook, and uh, so when you don't have the data, the question is, why? What? What? What is the measure that you should have? Um, and whether you're talking about, you know, your time. I'm I'm too busy. I, I I don't have time for blah blah blah. Well, why don't you have time? Is it because it's not important, or is it because you uh, haven't you know properly allocated your time to allow this thing that is important? Uh, to get done. And then, well, how have you allocated your time? Where's, where's, where's the data on that? So I I've, I've definitely find that data is, data wins arguments.
1: Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
2: Well, if they want to learn more about Woven, our website is woven.com. Very easy to find. Um, if they want to uh, just keep in touch with me, I'm easy to find on Twitter. Campos is my Twitter handle. And um, between those two, uh, I would love to hear from people.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Take control of your time. Spend time on what matters most and go find the tools and the capabilities to help you do that. Mm -hmm. Tim, this has
1: been lots of fun. I wish you lots of luck and much enjoyment in all the ways you're spending your time.
2: Well, Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this interview. It's been fantastic. You have great questions.
1: I love what Tim said there. Give yourself that time. It's a gift. It's not an obligation or something that you're losing when you make an appointment with yourself. It is a gift and you can enjoy that as such, as well as not being reactive and proactively putting the stuff in your calendar in order to ensure that the stuff in fact happens. So great stuff from Tim. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F517. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest. It is Gleb Sapersky. And Gleb has got some pro tips on how to avoid disasters or terrible decisions. So optimize your decision-making with Gleb next time. And if you just can't wait that long and want to listen to some more engaging interviews now, definitely check out the Something You Should Know podcast. They share our conviction that sometimes one little piece of wisdom can change your life forever. Their host, Mike Carruthers, interviews top experts to help you save time and money, advance your career, improve relationships, and just find more joy from life. We've interviewed a few overlapping guests, and then they've got many more folks that you haven't met yet. I met Mike at Podcast Move It. He's just such a great guy with a really impressive, buttery, smooth voice. I'm actually a little bit jealous, if I'm honest. Again, that show is called Something You Should Know. Their cover art has a yellow light bulb with a blue background behind it. You can search something you should know in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the current app you're using now, or find something you should know in the top rankings within the education category.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com/slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Pepper's world of play.
1: Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore
2: exciting places with Pepper play sets. Pepper Pig